0: Welcome to another Sustainable Wine Podcast with me, Toby Webb. I'm delighted that joining me here at Wine Expo in Paris is Madeleine Paquette, who is founder of Wine Folly. So welcome, Madeline. How are you?
1: I'm super. Thanks for having me.
0: Super. That's a good start. Um, now, tell us a bit about what you do. I mean, I know what you do because I bought your maps, which are great, and you do lots of really other interesting things. But for our listeners who don't know who you are, uh, what do you do at WineFolly.com?
1: Well, I, I founded Wine Folly uh, back in 2011 as a site... For people to learn about wine, have their questions answered, primarily consumers and definitely people who are beginners trying to get into wine. So for the last nine years, I've been developing articles, pages, infographics, illustrations, all this number of videos, any kind of media that can help somebody make sense of the wine world is basically my area of focus.
0: How do you make a living
1: out of that? Uh, everybody asks me that question. Well, yes, yeah, so we give everything away for free on the website, so you can learn quite a bit for free. But if you want a premium version, like a packaged version, we have books, maps, posters, that sort of a thing. And uh, about maybe 20% of our readers go to the next step and want the book or they want a map of France or of champagne or whatever, and they get one. And that's what supports the business currently.
0: Well, that's partly why i bought the maps because i thought you know i could go to a big bookstore or amazon but i'd rather buy them from you know yeah. a site where you're helping support the work they do that's free so you did um,
1: directly support us and i appreciate excellent. it oh my pleasure <laughs> it's
0: very useful um, so um we are here at wine expo in paris which is a huge exhibition with a conference which um, moe hennessy are putting on for the last two or three days they've invested a huge amount of time and effort in bringing people like yourself in to talk about various aspects of sustainability and we just had a very interesting session on authenticity and transparency Uh, what are your takeaways from that Madeline? what what were you talking about and and what did you hear from others
1: well I was talking about the importance of data transparency information transparency in wine and how the wine industry has a sort of a funny relationship between whether or not they actually want to tell people what's in their wine (laughs) and what They are, you know, what it's composed of, essentially, and consumers have a very high desire to have that information. So it seems to me that the producers who really want to be found and discovered and validated by consumers are going to be the ones who allow themselves to be transparent about what's inside their wines and, and tell people truthfully. And that's uh, what I was saying. And then uh, we had some really interesting insights from uh, a couple of really fine women, one who focuses on Asian luxury market, who said, who talked about what, who consumers are l- listening to. And one of the key points she made was how uh, consumers don't necessarily listen directly to the brand, the voice of the, the words that the brand st- says but they are listening to the consumers of the brand, other consumers around that brand. And I think again, uh, this is where this idea of the transparency of information is important too, because maybe from what they want of the brand is just the information. And then they let other people around that brand fill in the gaps, the storytelling, which is an interesting idea. And then the other woman spoke to uh, Moet Hennessy; she works, Moat Hennessy and the brands and she uh, focuses on their sustainability plan and what that actually looks like and she talked a bit about what it meant to create that role and how she had to actually struggle and to prove that that role was worth producing and 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 happening because it happened started back in 1992 Um, but then she spoke to how they make their uh, other people because they have other farmers that they work with wine grape growers that they work with accountable to the level of sustainability that Hennessy wants to produce
0: so a very interesting session and I think you made a very good point about you want to know everything before you buy something particularly given that information is more or less available in many cases these days and it probably wasn't 20 years ago you had to go to the library or ring up the manufacturer now you can find it all hopefully reliably the click of a button um, What does that mean for wine then because you know there's been a trend in some wine producers have even less on the label you know to make it look really cool and get away from those old kind of you know fusty old labels how do we tell consumers who are interested about what is actually in their wine
1: well it's interesting it's it's at our engagement points with consumers that we have the opportunity to give them information and I'm in the school of thought, and this is because this is how I behave as a consumer, and many millennials like me behave this way as well, is to look at all the data. We create essentially a crazy wall, and we look at a million different sources, whether it be reviews or meta information about a product in order to make a buying decision. And it seems to me that if you have these points of engagement whether it be your social media channels, your website, your bottle label, the back label of your bottle if you don't want it on the front, Um, in your winery at the place where you sell wine. Those are opportunities in which you can communicate information about your wine and for me this is really the base layer of information that I get because how do I compare your wine with another wine? How do I make a buying decision? I have to start with the base layer of data and then I can overlay the storytelling on top of that. And I'm finally making a choice after I see those two things.
0: So, of course, the early iterations of consumer labeling for authenticity and wine have been organic, We've had some fair trade wine, which has done a great job in many cases, particularly in places like South Africa and South America on, on labor rights and so on. We um, have biodynamic, they have bio labels, but that's not particularly mainstream at the moment. And are you convinced people really understand what those various labels mean?
1: The consumer doesn't want to have to slog through all of the certifications. Um, they're looking for purity right now. That's what they're looking for. And as soon as they find out that these labels have their own unique snowflake model of what purity is, they're very disappointed, generally. Um, that it's just why don't you just tell me it's made with grapes? Like, and that's why natural wine is such a pull right now, even though it, some of it's awful, um, is because it 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 tries to be exactly that purest expression of wine so to speak it's the
0: easiest concept to understand the, for the consumer in some ways
1: it is the easiest concept to, it's may might be the hardest to drink but it's the easiest concept to understand and thus they're willing to pay more for that mm-hmm. and if i was a, a wine producer right now i would be freaking out about this concept of purity and how to show mm-hmm. and how to show maybe what i'm doing might not make sense, yep. you know, using something like diammonium phosphate doesn't sound pretty for a consumer who's looking for purity, but maybe there's a reason behind that that's easy to explain. Maybe yep. I can figure out how to contextualize it, like taking a vitamin. Yep. Oh, you take your vitamins, right? Well, this is a yeast vitamin, you yep. know, for example.
0: But it seems to me that kind of thing has happened a bit in cooking, right? You know, where we know so much about what goes into our food, much more than yeah. we did.
1: But do we know, like the salts? Like, there's different salts from around the world, and some of that salt, you know, it's got, what has it got in it, you know? Yeah. Right? Look, it's we're not there more yet, than totally. just salt.
0: Absolutely. So... We're not yet there. But the analogy I've heard used use about natural wines is, it's a bit like I invite, I invite you around for dinner, and I say, I've got these lovely ingredients, but I don't really believe in intervening in the process. So I'm going to dump them all in the pot and cook them for 45 minutes, and then we'll just eat it see how it is yeah and that's the analogy I've heard people use about that's natural wine one. And, and but natural wine has this great authenticity thing as you say so how the question I have I suppose is how can winemakers who are doing more in-depth cooking if you like you <laughs> mm-hmm. know making adjustments to make the best product how do they talk about that in a way which isn't overly complicated it's a big challenge isn't it but, and by the way I'm not expecting you to have the exact answer because I'm not sure anyone does
1: I I would be looking very carefully, I would be running tests, if I could, um, with talking about my product and m- iterating on those tests. Maybe using Twitter as an opportunity to ask questions to consumers, and then learning from those questions, and then developing maybe blog content. On If, if you have a website that has a blog, yeah. you can talk about certain things answer these questions Mm. Um, and this is an opportunity to create a conversation to ask as soon as you allow you yourself to ask questions to your customers they suddenly think that you care about what they have to say and you actually have to care if you ask them questions because you'll be overwhelmed with answers you know if you're doing a good job
0: so it's pretty scary isn't it i suppose part of the problem is that production has long been separated from retail Every the time the consumer gets it that you know all they see is the producer's name the producer doesn't know who they are and i know more of the premium brands are going for direct wine clubs and direct that's why they're doing it and that's a good opportunity right that's where you can help create that model i guess
1: yeah that's where they why they're doing it i it's this regulation we have these multiple steps between the consumer and the producer even in this expo here we are a bunch of b2b But ultimately, we're trying to serve the consumer, and there's not a single consumer who's here.
0: Yeah. Well, there's a few students inside questioning the CEO of LVMH, but that's that's, about it, right?
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: So, let me ask you more broadly about sustainability. Um, What's your take on the levels of interest at the moment in in a a sense beyond incremental change? I mean, you live, I believe, west coast of the US, Mm -hmm. where there's a huge amount of initiatives going on around sustainability every region of the west coast seems to have their own sustainable certification initiative what's your sense of the real change that those are delivering at the moment I,
1: well they do you know every all the different certifications does create a layer of confusion for the consumer and yet uh i don't see how a brand a wine brand doesn't take this beyond seriously and get obsessed about it as an ethos because when we choose wine over other beverages wine, beers, beers, that sort of thing, we are going well it's just grapes right we we understand we like the idea that it's more healthful beverage, we like the idea that we are drinking something that's made every year, it's a vintage
0: product, it's a
1: perennial product I like that And uh, this this idea that when we go to wine country, we're not necessarily going to get drunk, although that's fun. But we're actually going out of the city into the country to see how country actually operates.
0: Which so few people understand these days with urbanization, right?
1: Right. So, like, that's why we're going to wine country is we want to get away from the city. We want to see... Nature, and it's more than just growing grapes, it's farms. It's different types of plants. It's rural at, communities. As well. It's rural communities. Wine becomes a showcase of a rural community. And I think regions who are really, really smart will start realizing that it's more of a permaculture question. It goes beyond the grapes. It's the wheat, it's the bread, it's the cheeses, it's the yeah. It's the everything. We're, sh- it's, we're making a utopia.
0: You could argue it's terroir as a landscape
1: it's terroir as a landscape yeah it's a it's an experience it's an experience to to see what what a a community utopia is
0: i'm amazed that more regions haven't grasped this yet it's so
1: obvious i was
0: living in provence for a few years (laughs) i'm going around um bandol for example where you have zero excuse not to be organic if you're not organic you're a bad grape farmer because you don't really need those inputs. yet so few of them have certifications, you have the and, same and problem. many of them are still using chemicals, even though they don't really know why. Like you know, you think there is a region of the world that can market itself as a sustainable destination. Well, you and know, get everybody on board, but it, it's very tough, isn't it?
1: It's the only reason it's tough is because we're used to doing this thing that we've done the whole time.
0: Well, since World War Two,
1: <laughs> we've well the whole time, as yeah, far as we know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In living
0: memory, yeah, yeah, in
1: living memory. And our friend our peers do it, and we're taught it in school. The sea change needs to is going to start with the young students who are going to school. So we need to change the behavior. We need to teach different methods in school, yeah. and then those kids need to be ballsy enough to stand up to their dads and moms and be like, "No, this is how we're going to do it." Yeah. And well, that they, seems to be happening. Right, and so it's not it's not going to be an overnight change, but. The regions that start adopting it, those are going to be the future of fine and luxury wine, in my opinion.
0: Great. A couple more questions before we finish off. Penultimate one, chemicals. You've seen the announcements here around the wine, around the wine world. You know, end of chemicals in Champagne by 2025, cognac by 2028. I may have got that uh, the wrong way around. Either way, you're seeing commitments by associations of winemakers or groups that represent them in areas which have been very heavy users of chemicals for the yeah. last 70 years or so, or 50 years, whatever it happens to be, um, committing to quite quick change. From your perspective, do you see that as realistic, or do you, do you think it's a worry that they're perhaps trying to do too much too quickly and, you know, might, it may end up seeming like a bit, of, a bit of greenwash if they don't get it done?
1: It's, it's shockingly doable. Uh, you know, having watched this documentary called The Biggest Little Farm, where this couple decide they're going to do a permaculture situation with uh, Orchards, and it's really a great film. There's a seven-year cycle. Essentially, it takes you about seven years to find your way into a much more sustainable, and I'm not talking like, ooh, sustainable, like (laughs) we're in all balance. It's not... Nature is also a a demon. Like Yeah, everything
0: everything wants to eat your juicy fruit.
1: Everything is going to just attack attack your plants and and eat your delicious soil and like and and get all out of balance nature balances makes a crazy balance too so it's more like you're a japanese gardener mm-hmm. i like to think of it like japanese gardening where you see what's happening and you just you set it up so that what nature does on its own yeah. creates beauty and balance And so you're using a process of observation, and you're not fighting nature with the chemicals, which is why you don't need as many chemicals. You're working with nature to push to the results that you want, which is still, you're not being natural. You are being a Japanese gardener. You're
0: affecting the landscape. You're affecting it.
1: We've already been affecting the landscape for hundreds of thousands of years, right? So... If like you what, don't,
0: you're just a thousands.
1: natural wine 20,000-ish. I mean, yeah. when, when did we start farming? 20,000? 30, 30 60,000 years ago? I read, like, yeah. i have to look that up. But. We've been doing it for a long time and without chemicals for a long time. And we have the technology now to get better data and to and to do it better more naturally so to speak yeah and even though we are going to be manipulating our landscape it's it's a, it's a denial to say that we're not going to be manipulating so things. somewhere like
0: champagne which has been you know some people say they've been nuking the soil for 30 they years they have
1: been nuking it for a while
0: and so you think by whatever the deadline is i think it's 2025 20, uh, you think they can go chemical free You think else possible
1: if they can do it they're gonna be setting a message to the world that it's possible because it, there is an extreme disease pressure there mm-hmm. because of it. it's, it's so dank. It's such a dank environment which if you know I live in the Northwest and it's just as dank there and yep. there's this green slime that grows on everything yep. and I'm sure that they have the green slime there and yep. they're gonna have to figure out how to work with it mm-hmm. and if they can do it anyone can do it so I, I have all my hopes I got so, I, and I'm willing to put my eggs in a basket and say that that's that they happen. can do it and, and it's going to happen
0: it's interesting I, I work in other industries as well and I did a conference recently about banana disease something called tropical race 4 which is devastating bananas it's a fungus yeah, um, yeah. it's really bad it it's horrific you, can't, you, have to, you have to quarantine the land forever you can never use it again no, it's,
1: like um, kind
0: of. it's worse because you can't kill this Anyway, we the CEO of it. a banana company said to me, um, "You can't kill phylloxer.
1: it's There's been no cure for grape phylloxera Okay.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah, they just made some resistant strains. Yeah. So, CEO of a banana company says says to me, "My customers, my consumers expect a chemical-free banana, and that's what I have to deliver." And he was talking to big chemical producers who make fungicides and fertilizers and pesticides, saying, listen, you guys are out of business because my consumers don't want any input. Then he kind of admitted to me later that that's going to be really, really difficult. So I was kind of confused as to where this is going. But from your point of view, you know, slightly representing wine consumers, are they really zero-sum game about this, do you think, in the long term? Just no chemicals? Or are we going to have to redefine what we mean by chemicals? You know, copper sulfate, for example. I know, it's a difficult question.
1: I go back to the seasoning and the vitamins idea with that one. I wonder if, what is a chemical? What is a vitamin? Cause you know, vitamin B, what is vitamin B, right? So what is magnesium? How do we take a magnesium mm-hmm. or an iron supplement? How, how, like, Consumers are keen on vitamins. Yeah.
0: Uh, so maybe we need to reframe it as helpful inputs.
1: Well, it depends. I mean, you know, everything in moderation, right? Yeah. So what what we've created and the reason why the soils are dead is because we've consistently put the stuff on the soils over and over and over again, and it's killed things. It's made for a bad scene. It's made for a non-living soil. Yeah. And so we need to radically go the other way in order to fix the problem. So we're... It's it's more than likely it's going to be this, undulating. You know.
0: A winding path. Right?
1: Yeah, we we're going to go the other way real far in order to prove it's possible, and then we're going to slowly add back things until we reach a helpful, balance too.
0: inputs over time.
1: Yeah, I, I don't see. We are too far too industrious as a as a species. And we're far too interested in technology. We're also going to make a lot more mistakes in the future, right? Yeah. And we're going to look back on this time and be like, "Whoa, boy, were we idiots!" You know. <laughs> so, yes. I, I'm, I, I can't be so fully deter, de- like, convinced of my own beliefs now because I know in fifty years I'm going to look back and, if I'm alive, uh, laugh at what I said today. So. I, I see this as, it like you said it's undulating it's a it's a wave it's, it has a low point it has a high point and we're swinging really far yeah. we have to swing that way because we went so far the other way.
0: What gives me hope and i would be interested in your view on this as a final point is the role of technology in, in, in reducing inputs so for example um, one of the world's largest fertilizer chemical pesticide companies is trying to reinvent itself as supposed as to being about chemical inputs being about sustainable outputs so how can digital technology enable us to reduce inputs by spotting problems before they've spread and the the falling cost of technology I hope could be if not the silver bullet one of the real drivers for sustainable change and why I wonder what your views were on that just to finish off on
1: yeah I mean if we got a bunch of raspberry pies working in the vineyards taking in more data are working in farms. We're already seeing this in farms and in certain vineyard areas, some in-depth data taking on to to keep water watering down and to monitor. And we're starting to realize, you know, we have these plots. They're squares. We sell them and we cut them up into squares and we we manage them that way. But the landscape itself makes these more natural shapes. Yeah, it's and quite, that's it's how kind of
0: crazy you crazy to have square fields, you know. Yeah, and that's kind of how
1: we that's kind of how we need to water and to manage and to observe yeah. our landscape is more in yeah. this in these in these circles essentially. Mm-hmm. And and that's that's something we're going to learn how to do as we start yeah. observing the soil and the and the productivity of the land a little bit better with technology and certainly with the new satellites that go up uh with the high definition. Yeah. We can look at uh We can look at the density of the foliage and how much watering we need to do on at least a weekly basis. And then we can put some things in the vineyard and maybe we can make our vineyard a little smarter to to help us keep track of things a little bit better. And I I think that's going to be huge. I'd be excited about that. Again, a farmer's only going to spend money on something like that if it makes his life or her life easier.
0: Yeah. And I guess you have the kind of macro business case that that's about climate adaptation and mitigation at the same time, which helps drive the kind of business case. So.
1: Right. If it makes them make more money, too, that'll be a huge driver.
0: Absolutely. <laughs> Great. Madeline. we could talk all day, but I know you've got many things to do. Um, so thank you so much for your time today on the Sustainable Wine yeah. Podcast. And uh, we we'll hope to do another podcast with you soon.
1: Yeah. Cheers.